Welcome to Dear Alice, a lifestyle approach to interior design. It's like real life, like you're a real life human that looks extraordinary. She, um, a lot of girlfriends describe Courtney as like a Kennedy. She looks like a Kennedy, <laughs> like Carolyn Bissett Kennedy. Well, that's probably because I'm trying to <laughs> because she's just my number one style icon, but that's very, very kind. Of yeah. So if you can get a visual in your mind of Courtney, or if you're checking her out on Instagram right now, you're going to want to know the questions that we want to know. So we wanted to have Courtney on the podcast today. So we could sort of break down, I think style and fashion, because it holds hands perfectly with interiors mm-hmm. and we'll kind of break it down um, on the interior design side while you talk about the fashionable side. I'm so excited. Comparing fashion to interiors, where to start when putting a room together? Where do you start on an outfit? I think I just am such an emotional person that it's all mood based for me. Mm-hmm. It starts from just like, I really want to wear that sweater today. Or like, I, I think I'm going to wear jeans. I just kind of go with, with my mood. Mm-hmm. It's funny because, you know, like you end up dressing your kids yeah. the yeah. same way because you, you just kind of you yeah. just like find that that mood. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have a great, I wish I had a better trick because some days I just feel completely stuck also. But I think that just, I'm not really a casual person. I really love like a sweat outfit. It's not really my vibe, Mm -hmm. but I also really like being comfortable. So I kind of just look for like the most comfortable, fancy outfit Mm -hmm. I can possibly (laughs) stomach. What is a, what's, um, for the people, how, how would you describe a most comfortable, fancy outfit? Well, my sisters love to joke that like, I'll, I'll put on jeans at 7am. Like I'm just not interested in I, I hate being in my workout clothes all day. Like those are kind of my pet peeves or just pajamas or workout clothes all day. Like nothing is worse to me than like 7 PM <laughs> just like in workout clothes. Like it's yeah. just, to me, it just like kind of makes me like a little blue. So, okay. What was your question? I've completely. Um, what is, what's your idea of a cute, fancy outfit? Comfortable, fancy outfit is what you described. I think you just go for in the winter time. I feel like what's better than a great coat. You just mm-hmm. find that coat and you can just put, pair of jeans and a white t-shirt underneath that and you just wear the coat yeah mm-hmm. in the summer I think there's nothing better than a dress yeah I think a dress is worth splurging on because it's a whole outfit amen I think people don't realize like oh my gosh that dress is the so easy easiest move mm-hmm. it's the easiest <laughs> it's so easy. thing you can do yeah. it's typically more comfortable yeah. mm-hmm. and you've just got you get so much on. credit for it too people are like why are you all dressed up and you're Absolutely. like you're so fancy I put one thing on <laughs> yeah you get all the credit there's something really magical about a thoughtful floor plan and you can always tell, I can always tell, I think Jess can always tell, mm-hmm. you know, when things are centered up and they create these moments and a thoughtful architect, architectural designer will do that. And that's something that Colton is. Yes. Welcome Colton. Thank you guys. Thanks for that introduction. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm just going to float out of the room. I'm so, <laughs> I feel so uh, honored. Uh, okay. So the next question is how to set up the team now that we know who the team members are properly for success. Like what is the order of operations? Yeah. I mean, like we said earlier, I think that it's like, yes, we all need to be there. Uh-huh. Um, I think that what I would do is make sure that your interior, 
The role of interior, it's like the core three, the landscape architect, architect, and interior designer really need to get along at the very beginning. So make mm -hmm. sure you introduce them to each other, get to know like that they can work together mm -hmm. because it's, you know, you don't want to have someone develop the plans, hand it over to your interior designer and be, and they're like, what the hell is this? Like, it's not <laughs> what I wanted, you know? Yeah. And so I think getting mm -hmm. to know each other, getting to know how to work together. And that is a process, you know, even really talented designers do have to get to know each other and get to know each other's processes and mm -hmm. you know figure out what the client values and you know we're all I think it's I think that we're tribal as human beings so we're like oh I identify with my architect and the interior designer just gonna have to fall in line mm -hmm. I don't think that that's really a great approach I think you really want to build that team and set it up really well and same with your builder find a builder you know, I've dealt with builders that are great and I've dealt with builders that are going to point the finger until the day mm -hmm. of moving. It's like, oh, this is the architect's fault. This is the architect's fault. Yeah. If you're hearing that from your builder, I don't think that's probably going to be a very good, a very good team. We got to work together and, you know, I'm not perfect. He's not perfect. You guys aren't perfect, mm -hmm. but together we can create a really seamless process if you can work together. Yeah, that's close to perfect point. team. <laughs> the close to perfect oh, yeah. team, yeah. Close to perfect team as That's great. And I think we adopt each other's best practices too. Oh, you for know? sure. And I think when you guys are on the same page as a team at the beginning, we're able to ask each other, what are your best practices? What have you done that's successful in p previous projects? And we learn from each other and we all get better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also think, I mean, just going to back to what you said earlier is um, we do have a lot of back and forth and we are all curious. Mm -hmm. And I think the best designers are really curious. Why did you do that? You know, and mm -hmm. I'll talk to these guys all the time about, you know, so why did you do that? Or why do you think this? And it's not a question of like, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's, you know, I, I'm passionate about um, furniture layout, even though it's not my expertise, I want to know more about mm -hmm. it. I want to know why you guys are, you know, having certain reveals and why you're not. It'll make me a better designer. And I think if you have curious, I've learned a lot about landscape architecture. I've learned about interior design and the building process. Find someone that's curious you yeah. know, and, mm. get, and get curious with them. Yeah, so. I like that. How do you talk about budgets and prepare people to be realistic about the cost? No, no, I was, no, I was, I just am super curious. About Everybody's this. staring yeah. at Colton. <laughs> so I know this is, the, we, we call it the B word. It's kind of like getting on the scale, yeah, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> like vulnerability. Yeah. yeah, it is vulnerable. I think that, um, it's the toughest question to ask someone because no one wants to build within their budget. I can tell you that I've, I haven't experienced a client that's like, yeah, we are, we, we want to spend, you know, $500,000 and this is a $500,000 house that we want. It doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that trying to shatter that illusion pretty early and it, you kind of have to rip off the bandaid. And I, like I said earlier in my career, I didn't, I didn't do that. Cause I was like, we can design whatever we want. And, um, mm -hmm. and that doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> um, and so I think that what I try to do now is that's why I ask about the builder really early on. And I say, okay, I'd like to meet with your builder. I want him to show me what X amount per square foot looks like or, mm -hmm. and, and any builder you talk to is going to hate, hate that. Oh, X amount per square foot. Well, it can be anything, but I think that we have to have a number to kind of design towards a lot yeah. of times. And, you know, sometimes yeah. the money goes quick. And so I think that, um, find a good builder, find out what they're building a house for roughly or what kind of finishes. I want you to see it and touch it and be like, okay, this is what we expect. This is $300 square foot. Yes. This is, yeah, because a lot of people think 
They have this number in their head, I think, that everything is $100 a square foot. Uh-huh. And it's just not anymore. No. It's actually not even always $200 a square foot. Oh, Furn- no. And furniture is not 10% of a house build. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. break that myth right now. <laughs> Was yeah. that, is that a thing? Like, people say that? People used yeah. to say that your furniture should cost 10% of the mm. house of the home. Right? The even house. even you're doing the math and you're like, yeah, that just isn't yeah, right. Doesn't add up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Be super so, fitted, but it's just wrong. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I not think beautiful. if you're furnishing through ikea and you know getting a good find at home goods or whatever maybe that's true mm-hmm. but if you want to do like a really bang up job mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's just not going to be true i think i just think that the budget is such a scary thing for people to look at because it is kind of dream shattering nobody talks ways. about yeah, it people don't want to talk about it do you yeah. start with the dream and scale back or how do you we have done that um is that harder <sighs> It's really hard. It's It's tough to do. Here's here's what I'll Because you're just killing them slowly at that point. Um, I know. We've learned No soup for you. Basically, is what it is. Great silence. Oh, yeah. You like that? You like that? Yeah, we like that. Yeah, you can't have it. The truth is is that most people's budgets that we work with are flexible. Mm. Um, And that's not everyone's case, but... I think that what we've learned through the years is, you know, we've become a lot less agreeable about budget where where I'll be like, Hey, so budget. And they're like, we don't really want to talk about it. And then, okay. (laughs) And then I design and then the budget came back and it's like, Whoa, that's not, that's more than we were expecting. So you do want to talk about it. Yeah. So we do want to talk about it. So I think that like trying to break that early and trying to, you know, and the truth is, is it's really hard as your designers have a little empathy for us is that, um, you know, people will come and they'll be like, well, you designed me an X amount of dollar house. And I said, it's different. We work all around the country. We work with different builders and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I say with one builder, your house could be 5 million and with another builder, it could be three. I know people won't believe me when I say yeah. that. I've seen it. It yeah, happens. Yeah. And sure. so I think that, um, it's a moving target. And so that's why I think selecting a builder early on, mm-hmm. setting those expectations early on, um, is something that I think you should always be like my number one advice for our listeners out there is don't be afraid of the budget and make sure your designer's not either. Um, because you're going to, it's going to be a lot of heartbreak down the road. It's yeah. fun to, to live in design world. Mm-hmm. I live in design world. I love it. Yeah. But, uh, design world costs and you got, <laughs> we have to go home at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. yeah. And we're here because we have the fabulous Rachel Parcell with us today. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for having me. So um, why Alice Lane? So when I was in college, I drove past, it was on state street and I drove past this store and I looked inside the windows and it looked so beautifully curated and there were pieces in there that I never seen. And honestly, when I drove past for the split second, it gave me the feeling. Mm -hmm. I was like, what is inside that store? That looks so beautiful. I need to go in there. So I walked in and just browsing as like a poor college student. I looked at the price tag. I was like, oh, I'm going to get this bedding for my dorm room. And I was like, Oh, never mind. That's a little out of my, my poor college student budget. Um, but I was like, okay, one day I want everything from the store in my house. Um, and then, so my in-laws live in a beautiful gated community in Provo. And I think you guys had helped with the Ash- Desiree Ashworth's uh-huh. home. Yeah. Um, and I think she was in like, what, what you guys got published, like Utah style design or something. I think it was French country. Oh, right. That's right. It was, Uh yeah, it was French country magazine. Yeah. And I was flipping through and then I saw like Alice Lane had helped with the decor and I was like, oh, that's that boutique on state street that I love. So I just started following your blog and your social media and 
just fell in love with it. And as soon as I could start affording things, I just started like going in, picking up pieces. And then, um, I think the first space you designed for me was my office or not my office, my closet. Yeah. Yes. Closet office in my previous home. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I just fell in love with your guys' aesthetic and how you're, how you curated different pieces from, you know, all the different furniture designers. Mm-hmm. So I remember we came up to your previous home even before that. Mm-hmm. Do you remember our first yeah. meeting? Yeah. Yeah. And we were going to do a closet there for you and we had started working on it and they're like, wait, wait, wait. I think I should just build a whole new house. <laughs> Do you remember that? Well, so when you're married to a builder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I remember before you started designing, I can't remember if it was this house or maybe my closet. I think you guys came in and looked at my closet and the pieces mm-hmm. that I had in my closet and what I wore to kind of get a sense for my style, which I thought mm-hmm. was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We usually do that. I mean, sometimes people have a hard time finding their voice on what they want. Mm -hmm. And so if we can see other buying decisions that they've made, like other things they picked out that they love, then we're like, okay, we know what to do with you now. Yeah. Yeah. What gives you the feels basically, right? What ignites you? You loved it so much. You you had to make it yours. Yeah. So good. Okay. So how would you advise people to work on finding their own personal style? It's easy to get lost because of all the crowdsourcing Mm -hmm. and um, there's so many influencers today. And so you're like, oh, which one is true? I don't know. Right. (laughs) Right. Like, I don't know what's best. And so you're obviously leading the trend. You're a thought leader in this industry. How do you how do you advise for people to find their own style? Yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's you have to understand to appreciate something that's beautiful and love it. Mm -hmm. But know when it's not. Once you decide on a style for, especially like exteriors of your home, Mm -hmm. you need to run with it. You see homes and it's like, okay, they, they love traditional, they love coastal, they love modern and they put it on the front of one home Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, appreciate the modern. Yeah. But if you're going to go traditional or you're going East coast, you have to go for it. Yep. Otherwise it just kind of looks hodgepodge and like. I don't know. It Mm -hmm. doesn't quite read. So with the exterior of my home, I love coastal. Um, Drew loves modern, but I was like, okay, we need to find something and just stick to that style. Or it's, Mm -hmm. I don't want it to look hodgepodge. I want it to look like a home that maybe has been here for a long time that we, you know, updated, but that has a true style to it. Mm -hmm. So while I can appreciate other styles, I tried once I found the one that really gave me that feeling to just trust that and go with that all in and not Mm -hmm. try to let these other styles that are just as beautiful kind of like cloud influence. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. We have a very special guest today. We've got Remy Mekadaki and he is the founder of Lola James Harper. Um, That is our favorite scent line at Alice Lane. And it came to be um, that we actually had one of our employees over in Paris and they were shopping for a candle and she didn't know what to get. And she thought, oh, I'll just get Diptyque. And the shop owner said, oh, don't get Diptyque. You can get that anywhere. You have to come smell Lola James Harper. And so she went about smelling them and it was hard to know which one to get. But she brought one home and brought it to work one day and said, you guys, I don't know how we could ever sell this in the United States, but 
it's being sold in France and you've got to smell this. And we all fell in love with it. And so we thought about how to air freight these here so that we could sell them at Alice Lane. And we've been doing it now for um, almost three years. So it's a thrill to get to have um, founder of Lola James Harper here to talk about the romance, the poetry that goes into making this incredible scent line. And it's way deeper than that. Um, your history goes back. Uh, how far was it as far as 2002? I, uh, Lola James Harper was really launched at Colette in Paris in 2013, but Lola James Harper is just gathering two decades of travels, of, of people we've met, of songs we recorded, of a sense of places we love. So it's been two decades, even more that I travel with my wife, my son and my daughter, and we, we just... Uh, go around the world and when we find an inspiring place which I, I just write on on my notebook what the scents are of that place and try to convey it in a, in a candle and i've been gathering all those scents and while traveling recording music with different singers different women artists or men artists but there are lots of women artists in lola james harper and uh, and taking picture of those places so I was doing that because at that same time I was working for other brands as art director. So I came back with some, some ideas for scents, some ideas for pictures, some songs or sounds. And one day I just realized that all that archive, all those amazing poetic scents, songs and photography could be just gathered in a, in a project that was a bit uh, mysterious because nobody knows those places and nobody's I mean, some of them are closed because it's been a long time, but they, they're just here in that project as a poetry for each one of, of us to come and create the link between those pictures, those stands, those songs, and, and to try to make uh, one's own story. Uh, mm. So that was Lola James Harper. So in 2013, we just launched, launched what was archived for 20 years. Amazing. What is amazing is to create a place it's to create a brand that people love to be in or with. And all it's what you do in, in your place too. So I, I really have a huge respect for that art of creating spaces that comes from your mind. And you try to share something that you invent that comes from you. And the hotel cost in Paris next to Place Vendôme or Colette uh, or Roger Vivier or all those places are just mythical for fashion or for hostelry. And uh, just to come and to find the scent that goes with it was my first job. And for me, it was just trying to serve what they have already shared and create. This is, um, they have done the job, you know, to create a place that inspired people. The fact to link it with a scent for me was so important because whenever I go in a place that I really love, I really would love to go back with the scent to my home and because um, scent is just memory it's nothing else but memory it has no point by itself when you smell something you don't smell uh, cinnamon or uh, lily this is not interesting what you smell is your holiday two years ago is uh, something in your childhood is uh, a friend perfume so anything that is interesting in perfume is not perfume is to what it is linked. So my first idea was to go and find those amazing places that are really strong and inspire people and to create a scent and just 
have it diffused there. So when people come and have a moment, they can go back, go back to another country, go back home with that sense. So, uh, so yeah, perfume anyway has always been, you know, in tribes, perfume and sound, both of them, you know, what you smell and what you, what you hear, you cannot touch it. Okay. You cannot see it and you cannot touch it. It's absolutely volatile and it's a bit stressful because you cannot grab anything or see or intellectualize anything. That's why it has always that mystical element in it because you just hear and smell. It's nowhere, but it's there in you. So it's super weird because it's in you, but it's nowhere. Uh, mm -hmm. So you have your, you have to, your soul struggle to link it to something. So when a song pops, you want to see the band, you want to see the movie that goes with it, you want to see what is the philosophy of the band, what they represent. When you smell something, you want to link it to, oh, maybe there is cinnamon, people try to, you know, to, to be the perfumer, oh, there is this and this or whatever, or it reminds you of something strong. So that's why in tribes, when you have a ritual, uh, you always play music and burn incense or something because you link that moment to a sound and a scent. So I just tried to do that again in our new temples, those amazing shops, those amazing brands. Um, and then I decided to even be more uh, mysterious by doing it with a lot of James Harper, talking about unknown, I mean, known for me, but mm -hmm. unknown places and let you imagine them. For me, this is the real uh, intention and the real uh, mission of sense is to give uh, the chance to people to relive amazing moments. Um, and it's really so far away from raw materials and uh, all the technical uh, talks. Um, so, uh, but I, I, yeah, the lily that you, the white lily is forever a gift for you mm -hmm. because you had a great moment linked to a sense and forever it will never, you know, uh, go down. It will never uh, uh, change. And, um, and, and it's the same for a song that you, that you heard at the right moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, it's important to keep some room for dreams. And it's important to celebrate those moments that are our powerful moments mm -hmm. that will uh, keep us during life, you know, through life, uh, having more power, more joy, and uh, believe more in happiness or joyfulness. And the sand sounds are, are, are really good potions for that. Mm, that's so yeah, beautiful. So. When we were watching with, um, I like kept taking pictures <laughs> of the quotes <laughs> and stuff you'd share. But the last one was just so beautiful that I'm like, everyone just needs to hear this. And you should probably say it, but I'll, I'll try. Whoever, wherever, whenever, and whatever we are, we want to be more, yet we are already enough when we are together. And I just thought that was so beautiful. I'm like, what? Yeah. What a beautiful, just like life philosophy to live by. Truly. Yeah. Uh, and it's, and it's enough to be who you are. Yes. Now, yeah. now is enough. What a great feeling. Oh, I love, I love talking to you. I know our listeners Thank are going to love this too. And I know they're all going to want to smell what we're smelling in front of us right now. It really is like such a gift to get to be in your presence and to be smelling these thank things you. at the same time. Thank so you. thank you for sharing Lola James Harper with us. Um, thank you. Remy Badecki, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Let's collaborate. Thank you very much. <laughs>
We have a guest with us. This is, um, we have Sabrina and she just started a company called Salt. She is a home organization guru. She can organize anything. I want you to organize the inside of my brain. Actually, can you do brains? (laughs) I actually need help with that myself. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, we are so excited to have her. She just recently came out with her very own line because she's so good at this. And she actually solved for how to help the rest of us. It's called Salt by Sabrina. And it's a custom home organization company that specializes in custom acrylic drawer organizers. You guys are going to love this. How does somebody get started? So I'm so excited to talk about organization because this is my jam. Mm -hmm. But I was listening to a previous podcast and I heard you guys talk about when people need to figure out what their style is Mm -hmm. and that they have to trust their gut. And really the same thing applies to organization because it really is so personal. The way you go through your day, Jess or Sue's like, however you do that, it's different than the way I do it. Mm -hmm. So we're going to organize differently because we need our households to flow differently. Mm -hmm. So you always want to come back to the fact that organization really needs to be what works for you. But just like in design where you kind of have these guiding principles, there's also guiding principles for organization. So I've come up with kind of a five-step process to really help people narrow in on how to get started because organization really can feel overwhelming. So the very first step is you want to go into your spaces and you want to just assess the space. So if it's your kitchen, you want to say, how do we use this space? And there's really no right or wrong answer. So for example, in my house, we have a, we have a space, a kitchen counter where my kids love to do their homework. So I have to have some functionality in my kitchen that helps us with homework. Mm -hmm. So we have a homework drawer. So that drawer has pencils and sharpeners and things that the kids need to get their homework done every day. Mm -hmm. So again, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but you do want to have a purpose and you want to assign every drawer or cabinet a job. So you want to say to this drawer, okay, you are by my stove. So you've got to hold my kitchen utensils or my hot pads, Mm -hmm. whatever you need close at hand. And when you give that purpose to those drawers or cabinets, you're going to find that it's way easier to put that thing back because you know where it belongs and where it's going to function best for you. Mm -hmm. And then the next step is going to be um, to take everything out. You've got to start fresh. And I'm sure you guys know in design, but when you can start with a fresh palette, it's like, it's such a game changer. Yeah. We do the same thing in accessorizing. We'll completely take off everything off the surface of a console and then we'll style it. But you kind of can't do it with half stuff on, half stuff off. Even if you know you're going to put it back on, it's like you have to empty it out. So I totally get this principle. Yeah, It's never as good. Like if you try and work with it there. So I love that. Do the edit. I agree a hundred percent. And then once you take everything out, Mm -hmm. it also gives you the ability to kind of emotionally disconnect with what's in there Mm -hmm. and look at the space with a fresh set of eyes and say, okay, what do I actually need? What do I use? And this is the editing process. Mm -hmm. So this is when we take and go, what do we use? What do we need? What can we get rid of? And there's almost this emotional quality to that where we get rid of things and we feel lighter, we feel better. And then when we can put the right containers, the right tools in to help us stay organized, Mm -hmm. then it helps us in that final step, which is then to put things back and in the ideal way for us to utilize those in the long term. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. When you are start to be efficient with what you're doing and organize and getting rid of junk, 
you're going to empty entire drawers Mm -hmm. and then you're going to feel that power of the empty drawer. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I just, I just need a minute. That's Jess's eyes are closed. (laughs) Barely reopening. I was like, well, you know what? I guess I could give up one of my three junk drawers and just have one. What if I had two empty drawers? Like, do we really, do I really need three junk drawers? I'm trying to decide. How often are we really like accessing those things? Yeah. There's no such thing as a junk drawer. Oh gosh. (laughs) I call it a multi-purpose drawer. Okay. I'm writing this down. Okay, cool. Because it makes us feel better about it. Yeah. I have three of those. (laughs) And and maybe I have one in another zone too. So this is you know what? Everybody has one. And you have to have the drawer that has the band-aids and the measuring tape and the batteries Uh and whatever random junk you come home with that day. Yeah. But if you can get an organizer that has a lot of compartments. Uh-huh. and try to keep a few of them empty. Cause again, that allows for those inflows. Mm-hmm. So have your staples, yeah. have the band-aids and the neosporin, have the hair bands and the brush, mm-hmm. but then have a couple extra ones. Mm-hmm. So that when my son brings home the bouncy ball yeah. from school, I have a little spot for it to live. Yeah. Nice. I love that. Today we have a really special guest with us. We have Rebecca Gardner. She is the founder and creative director of House and Parties, a full-service event and interior design collective in Savannah and New York City. She's been named a top event designer by Vogue and Harper's Bazaar, and her design work has been published in the Wall Street Journal, Architectural Digest, Milu, Town & Country, The Financial Times, and The New York Times. She established her design firm in 2010 and launched her online shop during 2020 called House & Parties, It's a mix of private labels, artist commissions, and vintage pieces. Welcome, Rebecca. We're so happy to have you here. And you're joining us from Savannah today? I'm in Savannah, yes, and I'm thrilled to be a part of what you're making. Oh my gosh. Well, everybody's going to be so excited about this because we're entering into that entertaining season. And um, I think everybody's feeling more courageous about entertaining again um, with uh, vaccinations and COVID waning. And I feel like people are feeling more comfortable to gather and they're wanting to do it right because we've all missed our people so much. So I think this timing is just really precious right now in the world, especially. So to me, that's where the magic lies. Anytime you have a touch of the hand. And I think that that applies to like a beautiful ceramic or a beautiful woven fabric or some crazy ass like paper tree. But I I think that in all things um, aesthetic to show a touch of the hand, which like sounds so creepy, but I think it's the best way to describe it um, is an experience in itself, you know, because it's passing on that, that work. And it's storytelling. It really is. You're telling this like really magical, which is probably, do you think it's easier to be a little bit more fantastical in an event versus an interior just because you can go like so out of limits, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And no one wants, uh, I'm looking at my kitchen right now, which is pretty wild, but no one wants their house to look like Pee Wee's Playhouse. I mean, granted, but I do like whimsical things. I'm looking to my right and in my dining room, I have sconces that are told that look like leaks. And, um, I do like funky elements in an interior, but, uh, there's an element of practicality and sort of, uh, a necessity to last, that that isn't always with a party, mm-hmm. yeah. but I still want people to dance and, and have yes. a great time, even if they're, you know, coming for a dinner party. Can you just even imagine for one minute getting an invitation in the mail? I know. And- <laughs> And knowing that house and parties through it, like the giddiness that you would feel just to get to experience the whole, 
the whole that feeling of it all. I just grew like 12 inches. <laughs> oh, I just can't even imagine how fun. No matter how fancy your table is, which I think sometimes an event does call for that. It shows great effort and beauty, but I think you have to have little mischievous winks, you know, mm-hmm. tucked in mm-hmm. and it encourages I think it encourages sort of a wink and maybe some bad behavior with good people, which makes for a great party. (laughs) Um, Not not only did like someone make an incredible effort, but I want you to have fun and not be intimidated. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, one of my biggest questions, I am a big hat wearer. I wear a hat 50% of the time. And I was like, this lady must be a Milner or know a great Milner because your hats are something so extraordinary. I also dream of wearing one of your hats at, at one of the parties. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little website. Oh, I know. I need, I need to headbands. buy the hats. Yeah. The shark hat. Um, yeah. The headbands with the pearls and the corn and anyway, the headwear, where do you come up with the headwear? We work with this amazing milliner in Tel Aviv. And when we come up with our collections, this is for the website, mm-hmm. um, when we come up with our collections, which are seasonal, we always include a fantastical hat. And the idea is that when you are a guest at a party, you have a job and you get to decide what your job is. You could be like the sexiest woman. You could be the man that brings the expensive wine, you can be the best storyteller, you can be the best dress, but you have to come with something, right? Or you could just make people feel good because you have such um, good listening skills or you give great compliments. <laughs> I love that. I think one way to bring something to a trip. party is to wear a crazy hat. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you walk into a party wearing a crazy hat, it shows that you appreciate the host's effort, that you're there to have a good time. And then you look damn good doing it too. Uh-huh. So that's so weird that like our entertaining site has hats, but it's all part of the, the picture. I mean, you could wear that um, headband that has the pearl corn husk on it. You could wear it like to pick up your children for Thanksgiving vacation and embarrass them like through the sunroof. Yeah. Or you could wear it to greet the FedEx man, you know, in your nightgown. Or you could wear it to antagonize your children on Thanksgiving morning. Or just to like greet your guests and offer a drink. I I just think it makes, um, just like clothes in general make, life more fun. Like your yeah. great green dress. Yeah. You can't not smile if you saw someone wearing that and you'd be like, I want to hang out with her. Yes. Or him. She's the Whatever. most fun. I love that you say that, that each of the guests have a role at the party. And I think the listeners need to know this because I, I don't know, depending on where we live, some people really know their party etiquette. Probably the Southerners are great at this. Um, others like we're, we're definitely West coasters um, where we are more casual out here. So I, I love what you're saying so much and there's a, definitely an art to throwing the party obviously decorating for the party and sweating over the tiny details this would actually be a great place to um give the quote <laughs> from Rebecca Gardner that is written up in one of the magazines I know this is one okay so you said micromanaging details is how we force serendipity <laughs> I crave the potent cocktail of adrenaline and fairy dust <laughs> anyway just micromanaging we were talking about this before we even started recording how how there is so much work to make things look effortless and anyway it, I just love that quote do you have a party trick oh parlor games <laughs> what's parlor games. what's that do tell 
Oh, a parlor game. Um, I'm trying to think of things we sell on our website. A, a parlor game, like if there's a lull in conversation, heaven forbid you're seated next to the man that brings the expensive wine and that's his only gift. Um, that's a parlor game. So that would be to avoid um, something like what's your favorite ice cream or what is your passion, which is really a failure on your part. So a better way to win would be would you rather um, go drive cross country in a Cooper Mini with no air conditioning or radio in the summer with a three-year-old in the back seat <laughs> or only eat martini olives for three months? You know, something bizarre. I, that wasn't a very good example. I like that. that was pretty good. Better, they're better when they're inappropriate, you know? Totally. Tongue in cheek. Sex and drugs makes them much better, but um, just it, it, with effort for lady likeness, that I'll go with the olives and the Cooper Mini. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I think a parlor game and, and to have a trick up your sleeve makes for a fun party. We have a special treat for you today. We have Thomas Pheasant um, with us today. He is what um, Arc Digest named the no, Dean big. of American Design. Yeah. <laughs> so we felt like well, one, one of the deans of American. One design. of the deans of American. Not, design. not, not, the, <laughs> not a capital T. Just one of the. I like it. I like it better the way I said it, Thomas. Okay, <laughs> just kidding. Just lean in, lean yeah. in. Also, um, those of you that are real uh, design know-it-alls, um, you've heard of the AD one hundred list. Thomas has been on it since the year two thousand. Cheers. <laughs> Thomas does it ever get old? No, just, it never gets old. Just being extraordinary. Um, so Thomas is a huge hero of Suzanne and mine, and anybody that is a designer has been obsessed with his work and probably even has studied him. Um, I'll have you know that Thomas's book, Simply Serene, is it's called Thomas Pheasant, Simply Serene. It's my favorite book that I own. And I always have it in the, on the top of the stack on my coffee table. It's on my mantle half the time, my center hall table. But the cover of it is so beautiful that it just sort of elevates whatever it's with. It also looks incredible open in a book cradle because every page is extraordinary. So um, if you don't have the book, I highly recommend it. And those of you that are, haven't heard of Thomas Pheasant yet, um, check him out on Instagram. Um, Thomas is spelled like normal pheasants, P-H-E-A-S-A-N-T. Um, so check out his work as we're talking about him and you'll feel as lucky as we do to get to hear his voice today. And I remember going home and telling my parents and them staring at me like, okay, you know, that's great. But it really had an impression. But what's so amazing, you know, all of these years later, and I still, I frequent the National Gallery because it's one of my favorite buildings in D.C. Mm-hmm. And I go in there and I feel that that same feeling. Mm-hmm. That is, that's the honest truth. You know, it's this, this like connection to beauty and and trying to understand somebody's vocabulary and taking it in and having it sort of resonate. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, building a career on that, you know, letting, letting that idea of sort of aspirational architecture and this sort of higher, these higher thoughts, you know, try to seep into my work. And if they do, I'm thrilled. But, um, but when I go in there and I always take my, I always drag all my friends in there, um, I just become that, you know, nine-year-old kid just in awe. And I think that's what interior should do. And it doesn't have to be a grand, 
you know, John Russell Pope Museum. It could be, you know, a country residence or something. But there's this this thing when you walk into a space and you just kind of get it and you just, you know, it's not about a style. It's not about a color. It's about this personal connection. And so and if you can tap into that as a creative person, if you can tap into that within your own voice, um, it's it really gives you, you know, strong legs mm-hmm. and, and people connect to that, you know? Yeah. So getting a sense of the space and the, listening to the vocabulary, trying to connect with it rather than impose, well, I'm going to bring Thomas Vincent classical furniture to Japan. Um, you know, it's about being a listener and a viewer and, and it's, um, it's a, it's a great, it's a great way to kind of find your inspiration from a business, a creative business person point of view. You know, we really, you really get caught up in the business of your work. Like I said before, and, you know, uh, my studio is kind of my, my world and so much happens there. And, um, but you get very, you alienate yourself in a way, mm-hmm. you know, you become very isolated and your world is your clients, your contractors, your staff and mm-hmm. the office. And, you know, I think that the, the decision to remove myself physically and go to another city was the best decision we made personally, but also professionally, because it just takes me out of my own head. And it just, you know, I, like I say, how is it possible that I sleep nine hours there and at home? I'm lucky if I get six hours sleep before I'm waking and I'm doing my to-do list in my head before I get up. Yep. So you know, like everybody else. So, you know, we're, so it's, it's been great. And I, you know, the, the exposure to the culture and the beauty of the city and, you know, the, the love they have for the creative energy of France, the the French have this incredible love and support for artists. Mm. And I, we, you know, as advanced as the U S is, we don't do it the same way. We don't give artists vehicles. We don't support them economically to produce and, you know, um, and that was part of my, my, when I talked about Blair House and I was talking to them about, listen, we've got to move on. We've got to bring creative people, Americans who are valuable to us now into this building. We've got to celebrate them. Brilliant. We've got to give them a platform. That's brilliant. You know? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, and, and I learned that from, you know, quite honestly from the French, but um, I, and seeing how it really works. You know, we don't have the government support that they have. But we, if we have to do it privately, then we do it privately. But uh, so, That's but it's, really it's, great. it's been great. Yeah, it's great. Love it. Okay, one last question, and then we'll let you go. Um, we ask everybody that comes on the podcast the same question, and it is, how do you define luxury? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think, well, there's, I think there's a lot of ways to do that. I know. For me, it's a hard one. It's a hard thing. You know, it's... I, I said in my book, I, I, um, we were doing an apartment in New York and, um, for the, I showed up this picture and it's this beautiful, uh, on Central Park South and it's got this immense view of Central Park and you walk into the, to the living room and you're just like on a cloud. And I, and I wrote, um, luxury is space to breathe, mm. you know, yeah. and it is, and it's, and, and I think and that's what Paris gives me, mm. you know, it doesn't, you know, whether you have a small efficiency or a gorgeous apartment or a residence, it's just having that to me now luxury is that ability to take yourself someplace where you can breathe and think and, you know, find yourself. 
Yeah. Um, it's not it's not about buying um, the best watch or the, I mean that's wonderful. Those are that's just fun. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily change you in a way that you need to be changed, right? Yeah. So. Beautiful answer. I love oh, that. You win. Thank, thank you. <laughs> Thomas <laughs> you doesn't win. win. You win. You win by having a Paris apartment. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Our listeners are going to love this. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like our show, please leave a five-star rating. 